ding and it is talky talk time this is talky talk podcast for the media by us my name is brent my name is not chris but chris is here hey my name is not tj but tj is here my name is not brent whoa (laughs) this is compelling radio i'm finding this out live (laughs) i don't know what to do um now we're gonna be talking about our homework courtesy of david david YOLO! <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you only live David. You only, you only David. Old. You only David once. Um, no, so uh, he assigned our homework, which is the film Force Majeure. Yep. Uh, a 2014 yep. movie-ish. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so... We watched that. Does it, who wants to take us through the plot? I'll do it. Movie? Being the uh, of the same blood and lineage of him, I feel like it's <laughs> my responsibility. I've inherited this from him. First of his name. Uh, this is the uh, follow-up to... Or not the follow-up, but this movie was the... Uh, sorry. I've got a smartwatch now, and it goes nuts when people text me. Um <clears throat> Anyway, uh, it's Ruben Ostlund who directed a movie that we were kind of fans of uh, two years ago, uh, The Square. Uh, this movie, Force Majeure, he also wrote and directed. Um, there is no Terry, no Terry in this one, so no Terry, it no suffers immediately for that. Yes. So the plot is uh, a Swedish family, uh, Tomas, Ebba, Vera, and uh, Harry, go on vacation to like a luxury ski resort uh, in the Alps. Uh, and uh, on their, and they're having a good time. They're skiing, and on their second day, while they're at lunch, uh, a controlled avalanche uh, kind of goes wrong, but not really. But it kind it doesn't of doesn't go perfect, right? The kind of smoke and the particles from the avalanche kind of envelop where they're eating lunch, <clears throat> and the wife does her uh, best to kind of shield the children from what she thinks is going to be like this damaging uh, natural disaster. And the husband, meanwhile, uh, Tomas uh, grabs his gloves, grabs his phone, and sprints away from the location. <laughs> it's a very funny scene. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Um, it's from there, kind of the tone shifts from it being like a fun family vacation to being very tense and awkward. Um, the the next major scene is it shows there's lots of like slow panning shots of them skiing and them like taking their boots off and just being awkward around each other. Um, uh, they have dinner with their friend who is also staying there. Uh, it's Ebba's friend, I think from work. Yeah. Um, and her newly found American boy toy. Yeah. Um, and as they're sitting having a conversation, you know, Ebba's kind of out of sorts and they're asking him how their day was. And Tomas is like, it was fine. And Ebba kind of breaks, uh, doesn't speak in Swedish uh, temporarily and says, "There was an, we were in an avalanche today and tells the story about how Tomas ran away, and she stayed and protected the children, and then her friends try and justify that why that could happen, but the the big part of the dinner scene, and what makes it awkward, is that Tomas flatly denies the uh, events as they happen. Yeah, in a very like awkward way, though, which it, makes it fun, where he's like, well, that's not really how it happened, yeah. and she's like, that's exactly what yeah. happened. Ebba says, you grabbed your gloves, you grabbed your phone, and you ran away, and Tomas responds, well, you can't run in ski boots. And she starts laughing hysterically <laughs> at him. And then the conversation kind of dies. Uh, later on that night, Ebba decides that she's going to go skiing by herself. That she just needs some time alone. 
And so she does that, but meets her friend for like coffee in the middle of the day uh, after she's had what looks like a fun day of skiing. She kind of like takes a, takes a break to go pee in the woods and sees her husband kind of being a good father to the children, like helping them along on the slopes. Uh, and then meets her friend and just starts asking her basically about like, how do you justify being an adulterer? And her friend is like, it just works. Like, I love my husband <coughs> unconditionally, but, you know, sometimes I just want to, like, pick up a stranger and, you know, hook up with them. And he's fine with that, and I'm fine that he does that, and he's fine that I do it. And that's just how it works. Um, emotional attachment can be different than physical attachment. And Ebba is completely confused by this, and it gets kind of heated, their conversation. And then they say, like, well, let's not talk about this. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, enter MVP of this movie, in my opinion, uh, Matt, played by the actor who is, uh, Tormund Giantsbane from Game of Thrones. Uh, he and his, uh, young girlfriend, uh, Fanny show up at the resort. It looks like they're trying to, like, meet them there. Uh, the guy's, the actor's name is Christopher Heavju, or Heavju, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm not Swedish. That's another thing that Brent's just learning right now. <laughs> Uh, but they have uh, Matt's and Fanny over to their uh, their hotel room, which these are some pretty sweet hotel rooms. Um, They're very nice. Where uh, Ebba tells the story again. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, because Tomas was recording the avalanche at lunch when it happened, uh, Ebba's like, Tomas, even though you disagree that this is how this thing went, like, I will show you exactly what you did so that there's no ambiguity about what happened and she kind of shows him and he has uh, kind of an existential breakdown uh, either that he's been caught in the lie that he's been perpetuating for so long or because he doesn't remember he did it but I think probably the former yeah um, which which causes uh, like Matt's to try and justify for his friend Tomas and says like well in these kind of fight or flight situations, you know, lots of people uh, pick flight, and it's not really like a choice. You just are. Your brain picks one or the other, and then uh, when they go back to their hotel room, Fanny asks Matts, "Like, well, what are you talking about? What would you do?" He was like, I, "Like, if someone is like attacking me, he's like, I'd stand there and I would, I would beat them up. I would defend you." She's like, "How do you know that? You were saying the exact opposite at dinner." And also, Fanny says, uh, "I would expect I could see you doing the same thing." Yeah, I did. could see you running away, and it really fucks with him. And they spend a sleepless night, kind of arguing with each other about the exact same thing they thought was ridiculous that happened at Ebba and Tomas's apartment. Right. So then the uh, next day, uh, Tomas gets his ski alone day, and Tomas and Matt's kind of ski together. They kind of. Uh, venture up to like uh, the like virgin snow, like not on a ski path, and they have kind of a what looks like a pretty dope day skiing. Yeah. Um, and then they finer they finally stop uh, and have like a short conversation where Matt says like you should just try screaming, like it helps me, just like sit here and scream uh, at the top of the mountain, which I guess kind of works. Um, but then. Uh, once they get back, Tomas admits to uh, Ebba that he's a coward and he hates himself. He kind of breaks down crying. And that's pretty much that scene. Breaks down crying. Ebba tries to reassure yeah. him. Uh, and then on the last day that they go skiing, the, there's heavy fog. Uh, and Tomas says, just stick with me. Ebba, you get in the back. Kid's in the middle. 
so that you guys are safe. And Ebba gets lost in the fog. Tomas gets his hero moment. He tells the kids to stay put, and he runs to go find her. Mm-hmm. And then is literally carrying her back, um, you know, like honeymoon, like newlywed style. And then uh, sets her on the ground where she casually walks without any, like, noticeable injury. Um, and then they get on the bus to leave. And then the strangest part... <laughs> the weirdest thing is the bus ride. Uh, they are riding away from the resort, and they the bus driver is cutting some pretty, like, gnarly corners on these switchback roads to the resort, where Ebba demands to get off the bus because she's nervous that the bus is going to go over the edge. And then, as soon as she says that, Matt's kind of backs her up, Tomas backs her up, and everybody gets off the bus, at which point the bus very easily navigates the rest of the switchbacks and drives away without any passengers. Except, no, there's one passenger, it's her American friend, right? Yeah. Remains on the bus. Yeah. And it's so, all of that was so weird, because I didn't understand why she remained on the bus, or why all of it happened, but anyway. Uh, and then the the movie ends with them all kind of walking down the road to, I guess, town? Town? Yeah. <laughs> Don't know where. To meet where the bus is waiting for them, I'm not sure. But, and then the movie closes with them uh, walking down the switchbacks, kind of having like a moment of camaraderie with all of the passengers. Uh, Tomas decides that he now smokes cigarettes when someone offers him one, uh, which I think is a funny moment. Uh, yeah. And then... We get credits. Well, what did you guys think of this movie? Uh, first off, did you like it? I yeah, I thought mean, it was good more than I liked it. Uh, I liked the little moments more than the big moments, which is weird. I liked them pre-fight laughing at their kids in the other room of the hotel. Yeah. When their kids are being little shits. And they're like, we want privacy, get out of here. And then they just go like sit in the bedroom with their ears to the wall. Just laughing at them, like, yeah. making fun of their kids. I thought that was an honest parenting moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I liked like the dinner scene, how nuanced some of that was. When where, he denies it? Yeah, because yeah. it's not like, he gives her an out, right? Where he's like, well, that's not exactly how it happened. And he like laughs. And she could like, Laugh and be like, yeah, yeah. And it would never be a thing again. Right. But, you know, she stands up and she's like, no, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, to his kind of brushing it off. Yeah. Um, I liked the idea of his breakdown when it happened because I feel like some of that was more him realizing that... I think he agreed with Matt's theories. Yeah. That it's not a choice. And I think him seeing it and you know how, like, sometimes like, if you're, that whole thing, like, when you're so deep in a lie, you can convince yourself it's true. Yeah. I think he had probably done that. And when it's, like, it's like waking somebody up when they're sleepwalking. Yeah. Like, he saw that and, and knows it's not a choice. And he's like, oh, this isn't a bad decision I made. I'm just a piece of shit. Right. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And I think it's him coming to the realization that he is not the type of man who would stay and protect his family. Because literally everybody wants to think they're that person. Right. And just everybody isn't. Yeah. Or at the very least, I think the movie tells us that like he thinks that would be his instinct. It is obviously not his instinct. He realizes he, he has to come to grips with that not being his instinct. And then when she gets lost in the fog later, it's sort of him sort of overcoming that. Like like, okay, I have to like I have to like enable that in myself because it's not my instinct. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that's what his like his journey is in this movie? No. 
and I only can disagree so hard because there's a scene I left out in the synopsis. During his breakdown, the kids kind of come out of their bedroom and they kind of share this group hug, which Ebba kind of reluctantly joins. But like earlier on, Harry, the youngest kid, says is mad at the dad uh, after the avalanche before they kind of have their dinner. That uh, or while they're while Ebba's doing her her solo ski day, uh-huh. he's like mad at him, and then he asks him why, and he says, "I don't want you to get a divorce because they think that because of the avalanche and because of this like fighting that's been happening, the parents are going to get a divorce." So what I think happened, his hero moment in the fog, I think that the parents manufactured it for the kids' sake. I agree because. They have this plan, they go, and then he's like, you stay here, I'll go get her. He calls out her name, and she doesn't answer at first, uh-huh. and then she answers. And when he does rescue her, he's carrying her in such an obvious, like, hero metaphor way. My thing was, there's no reason for her to be carried. Right. She's not hurt. Yeah, he sets her down. She's foggy. He can just hold her hand and walk with her. Yeah. But he's carrying her. He's putting mm-hmm. on a show. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. And, like, the kids kind of share in this moment where they're like... You know, all oh, holy. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I, I don't think that his journey was that. I think his journey was trading one lie for another. Was trying to. I mean, like the lies you tell your kids to yeah. make them think that everything's going to be okay. Right. Um, that's interesting. I can absolutely see it that way. And then I think it kind of ties into to the bus at the end. Where yeah. it's just like, sometimes you're just like, okay, honey. Yeah. Or okay husband or okay kid or whatever. Right. You're just like, sure. Yeah. Get off with you. Yeah. The crazy thing in the bus scene and the reason why I kind of enjoy it as a footnote to this movie is that everyone gets off the bus. Like in a, oh, they must know something we don't about driving buses through these mountains. And everyone gets off. Right. Despite like them, like the people who get off aren't even at the front of the bus. I think, I think, I think that that scene is trying to, uh, not like not be a metaphor, but just kind of say like everyone thinks that they're the type of person who is willing to take a risk, and really the only person who is willing to take a risk is the person who is most different than the people that we see on screen, and that's uh, Ebba's friend. Mm-hmm. I think her name's Vera. Um, but then when they come to another like fork in the road like that, like not literally, uh, everyone is more like a flight response than they are the fight response with the risk-taking. Yeah. I also had another moment. I can't remember the book, and I tried to look it up, and I couldn't find it. But there's a book somewhere I've read once. It's old. I read it in, like, high school, where there's a comparative in parenting styles to, like, a fully loving parent, like a give-anything, unconditional love, and, like, the hard-ass I-love-you type. Yeah. And it, it ends with a kid choking on something, and the mother... Like, holding him and saying everything's going to be okay. But he's choking, he's actively dying. If he don't do something about that, he's going to die. Yeah. And the dad goes and gets, like, runs outside and gets a pair of shears to come back in to cut this thing off his kid's neck. Okay. And it's showing that you can use both. But hard love's not bad. Sometimes it's needed. And I was immediately reminded of that during the avalanche scene when she, he runs away. Mm -hmm. She goes to help the kids, but just holds them there. Yeah. Literally grabs them and holds them there. Well, she turns her back to the avalanche. So, like, presumably to, like, protect them from the force that's coming towards them. Right. But, like, I'm not... I just... I didn't think that was a great response either. Yeah, I'm not... You know what I mean? I'm not an avalancheologist, but I figure if it was an actual avalanche that would have taken that resort down... 
Yeah. Wouldn't have mattered if she was hugging, holding Right. Them. And I think, but I do know it's better to be further away from those things. Yeah. And definitely inside would be better. Yeah. So, like, it was weird that she got up and held them. Like, her instincts were to protect, but I don't know if she did a good job. Right. Um, and, you know, kids aren't, they don't not have fight or flight responses. Right. And they had no choice to flee. You know what I mean? Yeah. And almost I don't like, know. It was, it was interesting. Yeah, because to, to draw your metaphor to kind of the close, it's like, you, the honest best, knowing what little we know about that resort and avalanche is, the honest best reaction would have been to grab the kids and run. Right. But one parent ran, one parent just grabbed the kids. Right. So, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I, so it didn't seem like he was as bad of a person. It was just he was the one who was getting called out for it and right. the one having the moment for it kind of thing. Right. Almost, almost like making a comment on like how can you crit- criticize the mother whose instinct was protect the children? Like, what angle are you going to attack protect the children from? If it's like you're not protecting the children the right way, it's like well the comparison is you fucking ran away, <laughs> like right, yeah. Or like the other the thing I thought about too is like he obviously didn't know. Well, I won't say obviously, but if me and Cassandra are like standing out on the patio and like rain falls. Like, I, I see it coming, I hear it before she does, and yeah. I get the fuck inside. Yeah. So I don't get wet. And she gets drenched. Yeah. Is that the same? Because, like, nothing bad happened. Nobody got hurt. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I guess I guess the difference is you know what happens when it rains. Right. Is you either get wet or you don't. The The difference, the problem is, is that they had been having controlled explosions to, to create avalanches. They wouldn't happen on the ski goers throughout the, the course of the day. And then... They say that they can hear the blasting all the time, and it's kind of irritating. So then when an avalanche starts, Tomas says, they know what they're doing. Like, this kind of stuff happens all the time. The he resort- says it up until he runs. Pretty yeah, much. they know what they're doing. And then the white wall just gets bigger and bigger. Harry starts screaming. Yeah. And he starts screaming for his dad, which I think is kind of important to, right. like, his flight response. Yeah. Um, but, and then he, they, like, freak out. So that's, I think that's the difference between if it rains. Right. Um... I don't know. It's it's hard, right? It's it's because that's the point of the title, Force Majeure. It's a typical clause in a contract which says that if there's an act of God or an environmental disaster, we're not going to hold either party liable for kind of the context of performance of this contract. Right. Because no one can anticipate something that is unanticip- unanticipated. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's hard to think of an example. You know, if, if the alternative is... You knew it was it was going to rain, or you read that it was going to rain, so you ran inside, and then Cassandra got struck by lightning. Right. Like, there's really no... There's no predicting that. Right. There's no breach of contract in, when Thanos snapped right. the world away. Right. Well, and I mean, the whole thing is, like, should she get, like, a free, easily understandable way to divorce this man? Because this environmental disaster happened and they couldn't predict, and now she wants out of their marriage contract. Should this be a wipe your hands clean? Everyone totally understands. Like, yep, you were kind of faced with the unknown, and you don't like how your partner reacted. Should you like? You well, know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the context I think for the adultery conversation. Is she's just like I was faced with this thing, this person that I placed everything in, and like I hate what I saw. And her friend is like, well, there's a middle ground. And she's like, no, that won't work for me. I want out, or I want to be in all the way, and now I don't think I can be in all the way. Yeah. 
And the movie ends with them showing that he's in all the way with her, with getting off the bus, and with her saying, well, I'll perpetuate a lie for you so you don't feel like a coward anymore. Which, well, if you believe my interpretation of the hero moment. Right. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty dark reading of the movie, but... No, I'm kind of with you. And I wasn't sold that the wedding survives either. No. I think they, they, they make it down the mountain, presumably. Yeah, but I mean, if it's if it's just like, I'll do this for you so our kids don't hate you. Yeah. But we're still done. Yeah. I wouldn't be totally shocked if that was what happens. Yeah. Uh, I, I was not as big of a fan of this movie. I think it... it I think it, it can tease out interesting discussion, but that doesn't necessarily make it a enjoyable movie to watch. Um, but I thought it was fine. It's definitely a piece of like art house foreign cinema. Yeah, I liked it okay. I mean, I do not get the like praise that it got. I mean, it was top ten on a bunch of lists yeah. for that year. Um, but Well, the, the performances were good. Maybe it was based on that. Yeah, the performances like they're the, fun. It's so hard for films. Yeah, man, it's just so hard to like read inflection. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I really do think that we missed context and that we were supposed to see his like lying on the ground crying as like a, a funny moment. Yeah, and so it works in some movies. Like, uh, uh, we'll talk more about some of these later. But like the host, yeah, has that moment where they're all freaking out, crying in the train station or the, the gymnasium, the yeah. gymnasium, right after the first big attack. And it's hilarious. Right. Because they all, like, collapse at this, like, funeral. Right. And why that movie probably is funny in that culture. Yeah. It might not succeed in others. Because that might not be as funny with a bunch of American people lying on the ground crying. Because that's, you know. But in, you know, I'm sorry, Japanese or Korean? Korean. Korean Korean culture. It's so, uh, you know, that commiserating thing is such an ordeal. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there was some like some cultural bars, but I will say that before the praise of the movie, the cinematography and the scenery. This is another one of those we think the scenery cheats. Yeah, like it was fucking gorgeous inside and out too. Honestly, the inside oh, yeah. resort was gorgeous. Oh yeah, and just I, I my biggest problem with the movie is the writing, right. and just because I'm like it's kind of humdrum and maybe the editing also. It's very very slow paced. Um, in a way that you would probably want a family drama about like the the potential dissolution of the family unit to be you would want it to be kind of slow and meandering to show that it's not like avalanche happened man and woman get divorced like you there's nuance to all relationships you know loving familial platonic whatever um but it just it felt a little too uh focused on the obscure nuanced moments and less on the actual like interactions between these people what did you make of the weird uh, hotel employee who <laughs> just kept watching them from afar I mean I think I think that we're supposed to relate to him in his uh, desire to watch a train wreck uh, you know yeah. they, they go outside and have their first conversation and uh, they're kind of in the heat of an argument and she's like will you tell him to fuck off and he goes hey bud go fuck off yeah. And then the next time they see him, they've locked themselves out because he's a crying heap on the ground and has to compose himself, <laughs> let him back in. Yeah. But, I don't know, Could be he could represent something else. Yeah. I guess in, I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling with it, what I like it, what I recommend it. 
I'd probably recommend it because it's kind of on the cusp for me on yeah. like and not like. So the fact that it's kind of seen and it gets high praise from a lot of critics. Yeah. Uh, you know, if foreign films are your thing, check it I out. I would recommend See if you disagree with us. I, I would recommend it just because it, it is an interesting concept. Like, that's not really... What it explores is not something that I feel like a lot of movies explore. Yeah. And so, for that reason alone, it's a kind of a unique movie that's interesting to me. Um, I feel like, though, that my approach to the movie, or my connection with the movie is sort of clinical. It, like, it just... It's not... I don't really have a, a strong emotional connection to this movie. Yeah, no, me either. Like, I can appreciate it for what it is. I didn't feel attached ever. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's maybe why I didn't like it as much. Is because I didn't Thanks really... For sure. I didn't really care strongly about what happened. I was more just, like, interested to see what did. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of... That, that's kind of the... Not to... I know I'm kind of a title junkie, but, you know, that's, that's kind of... Like, the whole point of it isn't to say look what these people did when they were forced with something unpredictable and environmental that they couldn't prevent or you know plan for the, the point of it I think is to say like what would you do right and if you don't ask yourself that question I think that you enjoy it less um, and I think that I am totally fine in the ambivalence camp of I'll find out when it happens yeah I mean I think it's a dumb question to ask yourself yeah. Too. So if the movie's trying to get me to do that, maybe that's why I didn't like it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just like him. Yeah. You think you you think you know what you would do? Well, I think most people are in the camp of, of course I would. Yeah. I mean, I think all three of us right now, if it was like an uh, unstoppable force was coming, do you, you know, throw your SO out of the way to take the brunt of the damage? I think we all go, yeah, of course I would. Yeah. And we could all be fucking wrong. <laughs> right. So there's no reason to have that exercise. Yeah. Uh, somebody did read one review described this as the the least comfortable movie I've ever watched with my significant other. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, could, I didn't think about watching it with with your SO. That'd be <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> don't recommend this as a date film no. at all. The first date, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, because you'll what will happen is the conversation that Matt and Fanny have. Yes, is you go back and you go, well, what would you do? And you go, yeah, I'd stay there and I'd protect you. And she'd go, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. It's like, well, I'll tell you what I would do. Have dinner alone tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is kind of a, a mixed mixed recommendation, I think, from the crew. Yeah. I think that David recommended it because he was trying to do the film spotting uh, movies of the 2010s, mm-hmm. which they are kind of like going through their list, and it's, it's was a blind spot for him. So I'd be curious to know what he thought about it. Um Plus, you know, as as out there as the square was, I was definitely interested to see what the same director had done. Yeah. So this is a lot more tame. <laughs> the square. Um. So, do we want to? Uh, do we have a topic for today? Yeah. So it kind of pitched. You know, we're as as the inheritor of uh, this movie. Um, TJ informed me that there is an English adaptation being made of this. Mm -hmm. Um, It is starring Will Ferrell and... Julius Louis-Dreyfus? Yes, yes. Julius Louis-Dreyfus. Julius Louis-Dreyfus as as, uh, playing the roles of Tomas and Ebba. I bet their names will get changed. 
Um, and uh, still starring. Uh, uh, is it still Tormund? Is it still, he's still in it. Yep, he's going to be in both. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, so we thought that for this we'd kind of talk about. Uh, well, the, the primary question would be: Are you looking forward to a remake of this movie in English? And then we'll kind of talk about uh, some big movies that have been uh, made in a foreign language and then remade in English. Kind of talk about the highs and lows of that. Uh, talk about some movies very briefly that we've only seen the English language ones. And then we'll talk about uh, probably a very short conversation about if there's any movies that we love, the foreign movie that we would love to see an English adaptation of. And just kind of that conversation in general. The first question, I think I know what this movie's going to be. The Force Majeure English remake. And it's going to be completely fucking different. It's called Downhill. Yeah. Um, there's going to be no ambigu- ambiguity on the end, I bet. The interesting thing <laughs> is that Force Majeure was not the Swedish name of the movie. The movie was called The Tourist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it was... Well, that would be a bad year to release a movie called The Tourist. Because wasn't 2014 the year of the movie The Tourist? Starring Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp? No, that was like three years before. Okay. But still, close enough to not get Probably didn't want associations right. with that movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think this movie's going to... It's going to be a straight comedy. I don't think it's going to be as awkward. Because Will Ferrell plays that character, the bumbling... You know what I mean? Yeah. I'd be interested to know who's attached to direct. Because I think that'll kind of help determine the tone of it. Um, and this is still early on in the conversation, right? I don't think they're, that they're, I think they're in pre-production at this point. It's co-directed by, uh, Jim Rash and Nat Faxon. Okay. So these are the guys who directed The Descendants. Yes. Which is also a comedy with some very, uh, kind of dark, uh, family moments Mm -hmm. sprinkled in. So I don't, I don't know if it's. It's going to be well, straight he, comedy. He wrote The Descendants. Descendants was directed by Alexander Payne. Okay. These are the guys who co-wrote and won the Oscar for The Descendants. Yeah. They have a third writing partner who is not, I guess, attached to direct. Right. Um, so he's... He directed The Way, Way Back. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Downhill, it looks like that's all he's done as a director. Who is Nat he? And Nat Paxson. Yeah. And Jim Jim Rash is... You, you recognize the name Jim Rash, but the face, he plays the Dean in Community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is not at all his writing or directing style. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that it'll probably... I think you're right, TJ, that it's going to turn the humor up. But I think it's going to both turn the humor up and turn the, like, awkward situations up. Yeah. It's got Zach Woods. He's going to be in it. So, oh yeah, that's uh, somebody who's good for both of those yeah. aspects. Oh God, Jack Woods. Yeah, <laughs> and MVP of Silicon Valley. Yeah. yeah, but for some of the most awkward moments in the American Office. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I, I'm interested to see it because, like I said, my problem with Force Majeure was it, it felt muted with the kind of slowness of it. And so if we can take those dials and turn them from four to five or six, then it seems like it, it will be interesting. Yeah. yeah. And Will Ferrell also, does, I think he, he does that. I think he can do comedy drama really well because I really liked uh, um, the one where Emma Thompson, he can hear her voice. Uh, Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. Stranger Than Fiction. So good. Yeah. Uh, All Things Must Go was really good too. That was yeah. a like, super indie movie he was in. Yeah. Um, that was that kind of dramedy. Yeah, he was in um, uh, 
movie where it takes place all like during winter. Uh, winter's, winter's passing. Winter's passing. Winter's passing. He's really good in that. It's very Harrison Zoe drama comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got he's got the chops to do. A, we've been saying drama comedy because we're all afraid of the word dramedy, um, but I, he's got the chops for that, and it's, it's definitely Julia Louis Dreyfus does. You know, I think they're yeah. both very talented actors, so I'm excited. Yeah. Um, so uh, I want to talk about the uh, the other movie that we've talked recently about a foreign language being made into a modern uh, man called Uv is still supposedly in production. Uh, I didn't see it. I think David was the only David one who saw, saw it that Oscar season. Uh, but Jack Nicholson is returning from his hiatus. Almost a decade. Yeah. He was in uh, the Brooks movie. We looked up the title. We were in pre-show meeting and I've already forgotten it because it is a James L. Brooks movie. Here we are. All, away we, here we go. <laughs> I don't know. But it's a really bad Reese Witherspoon and Owen Wilson. They got... Fucking panned yeah. when it came out, too. And so that's why he quit acting. This movie was so bad, and the title was shit. Just go with it? Nope, no. that's something else. <laughs> you don't look it up. I never want to know. I don't care. Um, so that's that's still in production. Uh, I know that David... TJ, I don't care. David, Let's look it up. David kind of threw his arms up and said that he didn't care why and didn't... You know, we we kind of like brush off the question, why did this get made? Because we know that it got made because people, A, thought that other people would see it. B, people thought they would make money. Or C, because an artist wants to make it in their direction and it's an artistic endeavor. And so those are all of the answers ever. If you ask the question, why did this get made? Yeah. Not to like hot dog on that podcast because that's not the question they ever ask. Right. Um, but... David kind of had that response of like, why are they doing this so soon? Like, why not let it like percolate? Why not let more people see the original? Yeah. Um, and I kind of agree. And so I kind of want to start the conversation about movies where we've seen both with uh, one that TJ and I have seen both of. It is uh, another Swedish film, uh, Let the Right One In. Yeah. And then the American adaptation, Let Me In. Yeah. Uh, what did what did you think of the adaptation and the original Tej? That was good. I mean, it was a little less uh, the like comic elements in the horror film were uh, removed completely. Yeah, in the American version, um, there's some shit like the end of the pool scene at the end. Yeah, be kind of laughable. Yeah, um, in the first one, um, but I will interject real quick before we go into let the right one in, which is one of my favorite horror films of all time. Yeah. Um, I think I have a different answer for the let people see the original first. I mean, especially when they're foreign. Yeah. People just aren't. Right. So, right. I mean, so just, you make that movie so you can let more people see the story. That's right. true. It is good for the original, although... Well, not even good for the original. It's just like, you know, do you want people to... Why do you make the, Why did you write this story? Because you want people to hear it or read it or watch it right. or see it. And fucking, you know, whatever. Joe Smith and... Not Austin, Georgia, ain't gonna go watch some Swedish movie. I mean, we'll go watch some Will Ferrell, Julia Louis Dreyfus movie. I mean, I don't want to be like arrogant because I've got a list of nine movies where one of us has seen both, but I've got an even longer list of movies where we've only seen the English adaptation. Yeah, they're easier to find. Yeah, but, but so like we are guilty of it. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, and I'm not putting words in David's mouth, but I think if you go back and listen to that episode where he talks about a man called of. That, that, that was kind of the genesis of one of our big conversations about the yeah. question, why did this movie get made? Right. Um, but yeah, for, for, so for Let Me In, Let the Right One In, 
it's an interesting choice because Let the Right One In came out and then Let Me In came out maybe two years later. Just pretty pretty damn quick. Pretty damn quick. And for those who haven't seen it, it's not a long plot synopsis. It's about a loner boy who lives in kind of like a... The projects. uh, The projects and uh, kind of bumps into this like weird girl who he's never met before and befriends her kind of accidentally and the plot of the movie is it turns out she's a vampire yeah. and that's why there's this misconnection aspect he asks her why are you never at school and like well that's why and so it's kind of all about like him trying to continue being friends with her her dad trying to tell her that she can't have friends uh, because she kind of innately is this monster and then her dad her dad and it's it's the, the little boy and the little girl kind of developing like a relationship that, that goes from like uh, unknown to platonic to like mildly romantic and it's a really cute story yeah um, but it's it is a weird remake because it's kind of what I want from the force majeure remake downhill but it's something that I didn't like about the American outing is that the tone changed right and the tone in the original Swedish was very austere and just kind of picturesque of just like watch this relationship play out. It's kind of cute, kind of funny, like, oh, what would happen if you had a vampire girl? <laughs> and, and, like, no horror elements. Really. No. And then the American one... Is, it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. Yeah. Okay, so the, I wanted to kind of throw these ideas out there before we, we get too far into this, and then I'll have you apply it to let the right one in. Um, I feel like when you have remakes, they are either, uh, you know, as good as the original, um, I guess in some cases better, yeah, and uh, then you also have like try to go for the same thing, not quite. Mm-hmm. You also have just disasters, right? And then you have, I think, the special fifth category of you change so much that how are these even comparable, right? Anymore, like veering wildly off into new directions. So, like, where would you? What's let let me in? Where does that fall? Do you think it's a good movie? It is a good movie. Okay. Um, and it's not unrecognizable by any means. Right. So, yeah. I guess I don't mean unrecognizable, but just like... Well, not even like... It sounds it's like more so than like Samurai and Seven. Like, more so the same story. Sure. Um, it's just, they, they take kind of... I think that the Swedish film is a tone piece. Mm-hmm. It's the whole... The whole movie is... A modern fairy tale, but instead of the princess falling in love with Prince Charming, it's Prince Charming finds his princess, but she happens to be a monster from traditional fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of all about breaking down like the monster title of vampires and just showing like she's still a little girl, and unfortunately she'll be a little girl forever. And so the dad is protecting her. And it's just it's this like cute kind of retelling of a fairy tale in my opinion and then the american one is like that monster tag that the movie is trying to do away with we're going to fucking wholly embrace that Mm -hmm. and say like how crazy would it be if like someone fell in love with jason Voorhees? like and so in a way that it's wildly different like no it's definitely recognizable as the same movie but for the important parts of the movie they change i think too much for me Fundamental aspects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I agree. And we don't have to put them in any right, category, right, right. but I just sort of want to know, like, like, 
What was the approach? What was the goal of the remake? Yeah. I think, yeah. I think the goal in the remake was they knew they had gold. Yeah. And I think they just didn't understand. Well, they probably understood, but they took a different direction on what they think made that movie great. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Brent, I want to get you involved in one of these. I want to talk to you about Suspiria. This is obviously not the same uh, uh, distance in time between the two. But, you know, you've got Dario Argente's film coming out in, like, the late 60s. I think it's late 70s, maybe? Late 1979? That sounds about right. Somewhere in there. And then, most recently, you saw Suspiria 2018, uh, Luca Guadagnino. I just kind of blur that name together. Yeah, me too. Um... Yeah, so that's it's an odd. Um, they're odd movies to compare because I feel like one is just such a land like a landmark movie for so many directors. The first one, yeah, and it's only a landmark for like a handful of reasons, like its use of color, right, and its use of like blood spattering everywhere and yeah. whatnot and all the rooms in the place um as a movie it's not really all that good yeah. so it's uh like the acting is just awful as with most of uh Targeted, argento's yeah. movies so argento's um, the cheese argente is the director yeah. <laughs> uh, um he uh because he also did uh bay of blood which yeah. i made y'all watch my bad uh anyway but like so I can see why it was made. I feel like it was made because the remake was made because you not you don't really have something so uh, you don't have a story that right. is so like um, well known. This was just a, a story that is already kind of weird and. This lets a new director basically put a new spin on everything because he's he keeps the he keeps it's it is a movie that is very visually striking just like the original and that's so so this is almost different this is almost the opposite of let the right one in to let me in because this is keeping with the the aesthetics that made the original work so well yeah the idea which yeah. was like he figured out like music and visuals made the original Suspiria work so well, and music and visuals make the new one work nice. equally well. So I've, I've got a metaphor now that I think that I've, I'm cementing as to uh, how people get their inspiration. And for this, it feels like instead of looking at a painting and being told by the artist what they did to paint it, and then painting it themselves, it sounds like with Suspiria... They were handed a palette with all the colors, mm -hmm. had knowledge of the painting, and then just kind of performed their artistry as yeah. an independent act. Right. Um, it never feels very much like a, like it is a slave to the remake. You know, like yeah. a, we have to do this, we have to do this. This is the thing that people like. It's more like you're right. It gives it gives Guadagnino a palette. And then he just gets to make... It kind of gives him just a framework. Right. Like a, a quick synopsis of the story he keeps. And everything else, he just gets to do what he wants. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is fun. So then I, I want to talk about The Elephant in the Room. This is one that I haven't... I've, I haven't seen the new Suspiria, but I saw the original. So I can't speak much to it. But I know both of you, or maybe just one of you, has seen 
uh, Magnificent Seven and Seven Samurai. I've That's seen both. I've seen both. Okay. So then, do you think that this is, I know that Brent used it as an example for the question, but do you think that this is a departure that is clearly, in my analogy, it's just an artist kind of telling someone like, oh, well, I painted a woman sitting down and just painted her most important features, now you paint it. Or do you think it takes a much stronger interpretation from the original that is just kind of lost on audiences? Because you've got kind of one of the greatest filmmakers of all time in Akira Kurosawa, and then inspiring one of the greatest filmmakers of all time in Sergio Leone in Magnificent Seven. Is it Sergio Leone? Uh, I think it's Sergio Leone. I don't know if it is or not, actually. I actually don't know. Well, I'm going to eat my words in a second because TJ's looking it up. Um... No, John Sturgis. John Sturgis, one of the greatest winners of all time. Yeah. Okay. So, it was a near miss. Yeah. Um, so, what do you guys think? What do you What do you think that that maybe the thrust for the remake was? Well, I think it is a perfect reason and execution of a remake. Pretty much. Yeah. Um. I mean, you change the setting in a time period and remake a great story, which is just super fucking fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. It is a story that can fit into so many different types of settings. They could remake it in like sci-fi, and I'd probably watch it. I yeah, I would love like a Star Wars yeah. version. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's also really, a really kind of neat, unique uh, parallel between the two periods in history where uh, this like lonesome expanse just opened up in front of men who only knew war. And you also get the dying breeds worked well. Yeah. You get the, the, the last samurai kind of and the last cowboys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're both like, they're sort of like the heroes of the, of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hero. Yeah. The brave heroes. So it's the, like, what that, would the American equivalent of the samurai be? And Cowboy. It's, yeah. And it's, and it's like a dead fucking on comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what you get to do a little bit different is samurai are so honorable. Right. And cowboys are so not in history. Like even with like Wider was kind of a dick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, so you get to play with that a little more, which makes for a little bit better like dialogue. Uh, that's not Seven Samurai's strong suit, in my opinion. Sure. Um, but the action in Seven Samurai's way better, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen Magnificent Seven. But, it's one of those um, movies I watch every couple of years, nice. kind of whenever I come across it. I, uh, Stay away from the remake of that. Oh, the <laughs> the Chris Pratt. It's it is a completely fucking different movie. Hmm. So, I think another reason they probably needed to remake it is because uh, not only is the language barrier pretty great for you know back in the nineteen fifties, yeah, but also uh, Seven Samurai is like three and a half hours long. Right, it's yeah. a long movie, and Magnificent Seven I just looked up is two hours and eight minutes. Yeah, so it's. Uh, Another reason they could repackage that for American audience. But they do a great job of carrying the tone and what makes Seven Samurai great into Max Seven, I think. Which is mainly, you know, this, how far we go to do the right thing, A. Right. And B, uh, existential dread for every character on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Magnificent Seven, I mean, kills huge actors in that movie. Yeah. Uh, and main characters. And Seven Samurai did the same. Yeah. I had no idea who was going to survive or not. Right. Watching Seven Samurai. Even having seen Magnificent Seven seven or eight times at that point. 
It's a Seven Samurai. is just a you could just look at that movie and be like, oh, this is an easy movie to remake. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, like it's this is just gonna work anywhere. I think they just did a great job of picking the right setting and yeah, cast and characters to remake it. That's what made it uh, next level for me. Yeah. So I think we have kind of our, our column headers for the three main categories of, in my opinion, three main categories of what happens when you remake a foreign film in English. We have one who, in my opinion, you may not share it as strongly in Let Me and Let the Right One In, where it's like, they did something wrong. You have something like Suspiria, where it was, you did something different. Yeah. And you've got Magnificent Seven Seven Samurai, where you did something great. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if any of these other, where we saw both of, where we think that it fits in one of those columns or if it kind of is its own column. And I'll kind of give you the list. We talked about this beforehand. Um, so I've got it here. Um, we've got the ring and the original uh, Ringu. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen both. Yeah, uh, easy, easy movie to translate. Yeah. I don't think it... Uh, both were great horror films. Yeah. Not like greatest all time, but like probably the best horror film that year, easy. Yeah. I would think. I think this might be a column D where it's a you're just remaking this because you're remaking it. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, um, kind of kind of an, an unexceptional uh, adaptation or remake. Yeah. Um, same with the Grudge. I saw the original Juan. It's another horror movie that's very similar in style and tone, as well as the movie Pulse and uh, Cairo, which yeah, is those water ghost movies. Yep. Yep. <laughs> kind of the same thing, and that kind of fits there. Uh, I. I'm curious about Old Boy. I know Brent and I have seen the original, but TJ, you alone have seen both. Yeah, it's weird. I've heard bad things about the remake. Yeah. So the main thing is he focuses a lot more on the backstory in the beginning. Spike Lee does. Okay. So there's a lot more of, like, bad dad right. going on. You know what I mean? Josh Brolin's character being, like, a bad dude running around town drunk, overweight. Yeah. an asshole. Um, and then there are just some things that don't translate quite as well. Like, there's no... Uh, remote control heart in the remake yeah. which is weird and the uh, hammer scene is just not as good cause it's not one shot it's not like a but masterpiece they still try to do a hammer scene yeah they do it in like a like a big freight elevator right yeah yeah. that's the I think that's where some of the, some movies kind of run into some remakes run into trouble is when they try to recapture an iconic moment yeah it's like tokenism at that point point. Yeah. it's like it's it's such a charade and so easy to see through because I knew about that hammer scene long before I ever saw old boy I yeah. heard about how cool that hammer scene was. So, like, if I'm remaking Old Boy, thing number one I'm putting up on the board is no hammer scene. Yeah. Do something different. Find your own iconic moment. But but capture that. You capture have to, the feeling, the experience, to, the coolness of it. Yeah. Right. But sure. do something different. Yeah. Do so something it's, different. It's not as good, but it's not bad. If it was a Spike Lee original, like a Spike Lee joint, yeah. I think it'd probably be, it's not, I don't know, yeah, I mean, it was fun. Yeah. So, so I blew it by going to the ring, grudge, and pulse by saying that column D, that's, that's kind of the uh, best examples. So I really think the best examples of a straight re-release uh, and reshoot is let, is uh, uh, Vanilla Sky. Yeah. Vanilla Sky is such a faithful English re-release of uh, Aubrey Les Ojos that Penelope Cruz plays the exact same role. Yeah. And the exact same function and has the same dialogue. Yeah, but just transliterated. Yeah, they did a really good job of capturing uh, fear. So I've heard in that there's one thing about Vanilla Sky. I've never seen the original, but um, was there were moments in that movie that were straight horror to me. 
Oh, yeah. Like the re- repeating scenes of him coming into the bathroom, cutting on the light, and not knowing if he was going to be disfigured or not. Right. It was just like constant existential dread. Yeah. Um, and I heard that translates well. Yeah. Um, and then I think that uh, the last one we have on here is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I know that that movie and the remake of it were kind of divisive with fans of both the book and the... Uh, by that point, the whole trilogy in Sweden had released. I've never seen either, and I think y'all have probably seen and read, right? I've I've read and seen both of the first movie, yeah. Okay. Yes, I've read and seen both. Um, but apparently the... It was weird on that for me because there was such praise for both lead actresses. Yeah. Like, everybody loved yeah. Naomi Repis and everybody loved Rooney Mara. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting to me for somebody who's never... I liked both. I think I don't think they're that wildly different. I think one's just in English and one's just got, like, it's like, well, what if this, this already dark movie, what if we just threw some David Fincher in? What if we just splendor, <laughs> sprinkled in some Nine Inch Nails and some David Fincher and I'm like, well, that works great for this. It's, I think, and I hate using the word austere again, but there's a thing about a Swedish film that is set in the winter months yeah. that I think is impossible to capture uh, in an American outing, but this is kind of the, the in-between, kind of the, uh, you know, boy is choking which method of parenting is best for me, where I'm hoping force majeure turns both knobs up on drama and comedy. I think the, let, let the right one in turned the wrong knobs up. And for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I feel like they did a, a fine adjustment. They said, we can't do this the same austere mm-hmm. kind of procedural, because the Swedish version is way more procedural in the way that they kind of like break down the investigation. They said, we're not going to do that, but we are going to take this David Fincher darkness to it. Yes. And so I think it's an even trade-off with what the, both movies do. Right. Um, and as far as comparing it to the book, I'm glad they didn't do a shot for shot of the book. The book is... Very, like extreme procedural. Oh yeah. With the way they talk about, I mean, the political scandal in both movies that kind of thrusts—I forget his name—Anders. The beginning of that book. Oh my fucking god. There's like 50 pages of a 350-page book it's, or 400-page book. It's is so boring. It's all a about hundred. a conspiracy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a hundred. It is like four hours of the audio book where I'm just like, I don't care. I got to like page hundred when I read that. I was like. What is this book about? Where's, yeah. and then, where's this Lisbeth Salander I've been hearing right, about? Where's the girl with the dragon? T- well, she's you know in it a little bit, but yeah. it's, it's it's I'm like this yeah, is- but they'll like focus for like twenty pages on how is this a bestseller? This guy <laughs> and, talking to this guy, and then they'll be like, oh, by the way, she's a really good at office work, and then they'll go right back to the board shit. And so then, the, oh, damn it! After like a hundred pages in, it's when he finally gets the train ride out to meet the guy, yeah, and then yeah. it's just like, oh, there's this mystery that's like thirty five years old. I'm like, ah, that's <laughs> what it is. There's this awesome cold case murder mystery that they bury behind hours and hours of exposition about how good of a journalist this guy is. Yes. But you could have just told me he's a good journalist and gotten right to I would believe you. (laughs) Because that's what both movies do, and they do a great job. The American version even truncates that, like, I think it's a 15-minute scene in the Swedish version, and it's a five-minute scene in the American version. And it's like, thank you, Fincher, and I don't know the director of the Swedish version, Right, but, like... You guys kind of adapted a book incredibly well. I'm sure we'll hear from Katie about how we were wrong about this, but um, the, I mean, uh, a... yeah, I think that uh, you're right. That the Swedish one is more procedural. Although that's one of my favorite parts of the book is yeah. the is the un, is the folding away all the layers. Of well, that's the, fun the to mystery. read. It's not as fun to watch. Sure, yeah, and I get that. I get yeah, that right, that's one right. I had to. 
I agree with you. Fincher turns up the, the action aspect a little more. Yeah. Um, kind of just Americanized. And kind of displays the grotesqueness of a lot of the stuff in a way that the Swedish version kind of like has a wink and a nod about right. in a way that kind of suits his style. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like them both. Yeah. Cool. For different reasons. Yep. So I think that'll do it for us talking about the, the main topic. Uh, you know, uh, David handed me this torch to bear, and I think... Uh, you did well. I think it's Breezy who's going to carry it now. Yeah, just, uh, but real quick, do you have a foreign movie that you've seen that right. would you... A single one that you think would be cool to remake? Because I have one. I've got one. I want to see Troll Hunter, US. <laughs> oh, fuck, <laughs> Troll Hunter's so good. Yeah. Troll Hunter in, like, Minnesota. Yeah. Or Alaska, or something. Where it's called, like, Yeti Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, man, Troll Hunter's a great Troll movie. Troll is a great movie. Yeah. yeah, it's so much fun. Uh, I'm sure they're going to do it because of a huge hit, and they just announced a sequel, but the movie Train to Busan, which was kind of a cultural Korean hit, uh, is kind of like Snowpiercer, but with zombies, which I think is awesome. It's a whole zombie movie that takes place within like a few train cars, and they're trying to get to the front to, you know, they hear that, you know, Busan is infested, so they're trying to, like, steer the train somewhere else. And it's just a really kind of great... It's a small movie that's about the apocalypse, which I always love watching uh, apocalypse movies set in a small stage, like 10 Cloverfield Lane and stuff like that. Only because I feel like there's not enough... Language barriers being what they are, it's hard to see good performances in foreign films. We've talked about that. Yeah. Agnosium here. And I would want the same director only. I don't think anybody else could direct <laughs> a movie of his. But I would, wouldn't mind seeing the Yorgos Lanthimos English language of Dogtooth. Only just because of I want. There's so much room for amazing acting there, and I have no idea if those people were good. I mean, I've read that they were really good. Yeah, but I just can't. You know what I mean? And I also want to know what we lost in translation. Yeah, because there's uh, that it, language is so important to that movie. Yeah, and like direct definitions of language right. that I would want to hear kind of like what the what the take is. I think that's a good good choice. Nice. I'll also throw out L. Only oh, because fuck. because I want to see how America reacts to that story, and uh, that's true, especially now. Yes, that movie came out before me too. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then also, how about uh, do you think the do you think a remake of The Handmaiden would work? No, I think that they would make it too sexy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can recreate the magic that was done in that sex scene. I think it's just one of the best. Yeah, one of the yeah. best sex scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm. It, I think it is a movie that they will probably try to remake at one point. What about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? <laughs> <laughs> so, what you got for homework, Breeze? Yeah, take right. the torch. So we've got. Uh, we're you know we got a couple weeks here before we're going to record our next uh, um, homework recap. So for those of you who need to break this up into multiple parts, you can. But uh, Chris and I have never seen it, and I don't know. If, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll uh, I'm nominated for Talk of Fame a blind Talk of Fame oh, hey, for no, me uh, Synecdoche New York uh, I would say oh cool but I, I've heard just, from I've yeah. heard from people that I shouldn't react with the word cool to me, getting me, ready to me watch and Chris it Chris both react the same way to this movie I was like oh Synecdoche New York and Chris was like yeah that's awesome and then TJ was like oh my god ugh <laughs> And, and then, I was like, oh, what did I do? And then Sorry. frequent guest contributor Al had the exact same reaction. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think I can say with fairly high confidence, it is the craziest Charlie Kaufman movie. Sweet. 
So, can you say with fairly high confidence that you will not rewatch this movie? I'll, I'll, I'll put it on. I don't know if I'll sit, watch it. But if it's Fog of Fame, I'll give it its due. You're not going to clockwork orange it? With your eyelids yeah. peeled back? Right. Strapped into a chair? No. That's how I'll watch Gravity Falls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's cool, our hundred. That's on Netflix. Nice. So, uh, yeah. I've, I've, I've worry about what I've done. Um, Thanks, Abrazy. So, uh, <laughs> DJ's like, I'm not going to disagree with that. Yeah. But, uh, all right, well, we'll uh, that'll wrap it up. This is Talk Talk, podcast for the media by us. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. You can uh, go to the groups, TV by us, movies by us, games by us. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on email. Hit us up on your podcast app of choice with a press of the subscribe button and uh, we would like to thank the Willow Walkers for the intro music and Burifa for the intro music and thank you to the listener bye 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 thanks kicking rocks down old dusty roads small town slow pokes long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know